Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. Shalom, my friend. How are you? Shalom, Pastor. Thank God we're doing okay over here. This week's Torah portion, the weekly parasha that the rabbi and I get to discuss. And this week in the Torah portion, we conclude the book of Leviticus. We will be talking about chapters 25, 26, and 27. This is another double reading. Remember the calendar, because the Torah portions sometimes get interrupted by holiday readings. You have a double reading so you can catch back up to the one reading per week. And the Two names of this reading are Bahar and Behukotai, and it comes again from Leviticus 25, 26, and 27. And Rabbi, one of the things that you mentioned is we've been talking so far in Leviticus about individual responsibilities. As individual children of God, our responsibilities to obey the Lord and be faithful to Him and live a righteous life. But now in the last part of Leviticus, the focus seems to be moving toward a national or a corporate responsibility, all the people of God called to live righteously. Talk about this transition from individual to corporate. So it's so critical because every single one of us functions on two different planes. One is the individual, but we're also part of a nation. And the judgments that we experience happen on both of those planes. The, the portion that we have uh, today opens up with this discussion about sabbatical year. The sabbatical year is a national movement of belief and trust and faith in God, where we as a nation stop working the land. Uh, it's a year where people are supposed to focus on the spiritual and not all the agriculture and show that we have full faith in God uh, that all will be okay, even if we stop working the land uh, for that year. There are actually commentaries that talk about it in the context of agricultural rules, that actually working the land for six years is overworking the land, because usually people would pause after two years and let it rest a little bit. Here we work for six years, as the Bible commands, and then we rest, and everything's going to be uh, okay. But it's a national movement. It's a national uh, uh, religious practice, and the ramifications are also national. The rewards that we receive for doing so and the punishments that we receive for not doing so are also in the national. I think it's a very important lesson, first and foremost, about faith and trust, but also to recognize that it's not just about my story, but it's all of us as a nation, and we're all responsible for one another. As we look at the beginning of this reading, Leviticus 25 The Lord spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, that's verse 1, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. 
Your harvests after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. So the idea is, just like in the weekly schedule or calendar, you work for six days and then you give a day to the Lord called the Sabbath day. Here is, you work for six years on your crops, on your land, and then you have a seventh year where you don't produce crops. Now, Rabbi, that leads to a number of questions. One, it requires you, doesn't it, to trust the Lord that he's going to provide not only food to eat, but money That's one question. And then another question is, you're not a farmer. Most of the Israelis are not farmers. The Jews who live in the land work in high tech or banking or or the travel industry or police officers or army officers or whatever. They're not farmers. So the first question is, how do you trust God to provide in the seventh year? And the next question is, how does this apply to folks who are not farmers? So the first element of the faith uh, and that God will provide, that's the real crux of the issue here. And it took a major step of faith for the people to do so. And we do have stories in our tradition of the people of Israel keeping to this and them having double crops to make sure that they will be able to uh, survive during this sabbatical cycle and the sabbatical years. Uh, But it's really all about the faith in God and recognizing that when it's all said and done, He provides, and that's what we're trying to entrench inside ourselves and our families with the year. Now, the question you asked about the reality of Israel today, where maybe in the past, in a few thousand years ago, it was an agricultural society, and therefore would impact pretty much everyone, today that's not the case, still it has an impact on Israel, because the question is, but where do I get my tomatoes from? And where do I get my lettuce from? And where do I get my fruits from? And if I'm getting it from Jews who are violating the sabbatical year, from Jewish farmers who are violating the sabbatical year, that's a problem. And if I do find a way to get it in a, in a way that coincides with religious law, there's also holiness contained in those products and in those crops. And there's a way that we have to uh, get rid of those uh, crops if we want to throw food out, uh, all kinds of rules about how to deal with the holiness. So it actually does impact day-to-day life when we have a sabbatical year in Israel every seven years, not with the intensity, of course, of someone who is a farmer, uh, but we still remember these lessons because we have to be cautious about where we're buying our food, where it's coming from, what we do with it, and it is a year which is very different uh, than others, and also the beginning of the following year, because we're still talking about the crops from the seventh year. Obviously, I'm not the first person to ask such a question, because in Leviticus 25, verse 20, the Lord says, If you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops, then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. Meaning, in the sixth year, you're going to have crops grow that you can eat in the sixth year. Then you're going to have it in the seventh year when you're not planting and reaping. And then you're going to have it in the eighth year because you're going to go ahead and plant at the beginning of the eighth year, but it won't be time to harvest it until the end of the eighth year. So God here makes the promise I will provide if you will trust me. And that's, that's an incredible back and forth where the people, and the Bible lays it right out there. They ask the question uh, straight out. God provides them the answer. And now it's for the people uh, to trust that. And that's really why this is viewed as the primary commandment uh, of trust and of faith, where it really makes it clear 
uh, that we are people of faith. And every seven years, the people, just like as you pointed out, the Sabbath is every seven days, and every seven days we also focus on God and focus on faith. Here it's a real act of faith uh, where the people have to completely rely on God uh, for their food, and uh, we need those remind- reminders. We, you know, it's easy to lapse into life without having that reminder, and somehow things get put to the back of our minds. And that's the idea here. The idea here is, and that's why I would say to you, even those who don't live in Israel and aren't experiencing the sabbatical year, the lesson is that they must somehow instill as part of their lives something which inspires them and reminds them about this incredible, uh, the important dimension of faith and trust. We continue our discussion of the Torah portion in the book of Leviticus, and Rabbi, we transition every seven groups of seven years from the sabbatical year to the year of Jubilee. So talk about the calendar. Is this the 49th year or the 50th year, and and what is the difference or the significance in moving from sabbatical year to year of Jubilee? So the Jubilee year is a is a, a concept which for, I think, our uh, capitalistic Western uh, culture is very difficult to imagine. This, uh, the, the Jubilee year is not just a continuation of the sabbatical in terms of holding back from working in the land, but it's much more than that. There's a holiness of the year where there's a liberty described in all the land. All indentured servants go free. Any sales that were made of land goes back to the original owner. Uh, a concept which is completely foreign to us. Everything is temporary. Everything goes back to its original person. It's a year where uh, it's, the Bible, over and over again, you'll see the terminology of holy. There's a holiness. And the ultimate message is nothing is yours. Everything is God's. And things go back and forth to other people. And everything is ultimately in God's possession. And therefore, when he commands you in the 50th year to release the servant, you release the servant. When he tells you the sales go back, the sales go back. And uh, that's an every 50-year uh, reminder that we have of that concept. And like I said before, so foreign to our minds, because we live in a world where we have control. We have control over everything. We own our property. We own our homes. We own our businesses. And the statement here is, that's not the way it works. Uh, by the way, uh, I should go back for a moment. Even the sabbatical year, there's another concept of loans uh, being uh, forgiven. Uh, things are just topsy-turvy and not the way we think that we have control over everything as human beings. And that is a big message of, of the Jubilee year as well. Leviticus 25, verse 11, You shall have the 50th year as a Jubilee. You shall not sow nor reap its aftergrowth nor gather in from its untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its crops out of the field. And verse 13 says, On this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. So again, Rabbi, now the modern question. Does your mortgage on your house get forgiven? How does this happen in the real world? The modern world, so I should asking, say. You're, correct. You're asking a wonderful question, and, and here. This is fascinating, because especially uh, your Israel-loving audience will, will appreciate this. There are different standards in terms of what laws apply when, meaning are we bound by the sabbatical rules when we don't have a temple? Are we bound by the jubilee rules when we don't have a temple? And there's different criteria, differences of opinion, but one thing seems to be sure, that the, require, the jubilee does kick in if a majority of Jews live in Israel. If a majority of the Jewish people 
and live in the land of Israel, then there are clear opinions that we are required, and we're going to have a whole new set of rules regarding all of this. And we're pretty close to that happening. And therefore, there are certainly rabbis working on this issue, and we're going to all have to learn uh, how does it all work. So we've got to stay tuned uh, until the uh, Jubilee year uh, comes and see at that point where we are uh, in terms of the population. I'll tell you, we are very, very close. Uh, very close to that time when we can say with with definity uh, that, that you know, we can say for sure that uh, we have a majority of Jews in Israel, and then all of these questions are going to uh, come into effect. As we go to Leviticus chapter 26, it begins in verse 1, You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. So there is the idea of blessing for obedience. The Lord says, if you will obey my commandments, there will be blessing for you. But there's also the opposite. If you go down to Leviticus 26, verse 21, if then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. And I will let loose among you beasts of the field, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your number so that your roads lie desolate. So, Rabbi, we all like to hear the story of blessing and the promise of, of abundance. We don't like the tough lessons or the corrective lessons where we're told by the Lord that disobedience brings judgment or consequences. But the Lord is very clear about both sides of that story. And this is viewed by us. This is a section that's called the blessings and the curses. Uh, the Bible does not describe everything as rosy. You read verses, and there are many more that just go on and on of graphic description of what will happen. And, Pastor, to be honest with you, it has happened. Uh, the Jewish people have experienced uh, these curses throughout the, the long and very difficult exile. But the idea behind it is national reward and national punishment. This is not individuals, but it's a nation. We are responsible for one another. It's sad to see that we've experienced the curses. Now we're certainly hoping that we're moving into a time where we're seeing, we have seen, a tremendous blessing. But the message in this case is focusing on national responsibility. I'm responsible for my brothers and sisters. They're responsible for me. We have to help each other. We have to inspire one another. Uh, and that's a critical message as well, uh, because so much of religious observance um, one could view in the context of the individual. And now all of a sudden we're talking about national uh, responsibility. I'm not familiar if Christianity has a similar tenet in terms of any kind of national uh, or faith-based uh, general consequences for actions. Well, we have the concept that we call the body of Christ, that everyone who is a follower of Jesus, old or young, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile for that matter, everyone who is a follower of Jesus, we feel comprises what the New Testament calls the body of Christ. 
and sometimes called the church with a capital C, the church overall. And so while it's not a national con- uh, concept, it is a spiritual family concept. And a lot of the same ideas apply that I am to obey the Lord as an individual, but I'm also to encourage my brother or sister in the Lord to walk by faith and to live a life of righteousness. And my sin can have an effect on me, but it can also have an effect on the people around me. So the blessing follows obedience, cursing follows disobedience. That applies in Jewish thought and in Christian thought. It's all throughout the Bible that we are supposed to be living amongst our neighbors, amongst our family members. And all of us, when we seek the Lord, God's blessing rains down on us collectively. But every national sin or every national disobedience is a result of a combination of individual disobediences. And that's true in the church. It's true in the land of Israel. So that's back to the idea of the family of God or what we would call the body of Christ. So the, you know, the idea of we're responsible for one another and inspire one another, uh, that's something which is so important um, you know, when God created the world, he, didn't, uh, he created a world. He created many people, and uh, we actually view it as if we're, you know, all parts of one body. That's sort of a, a way that we look at it, and um, we take that very seriously. Uh, certainly, Israel has afforded us the opportunity to really live together geographically and have more influence uh, one on the other. By the way, when we read the section of the curses in synagogue, in many synagogues, the person who's doing the reading of the Torah actually lowers his voice and reads it a little bit more quickly than the rest of the portion, as if to say, we don't want to really focus on the curses. We get it. We understand that it can happen. We want to focus more on the, on the, on the blessings. Uh, but for us, in our time, to be able to look backwards and say, yes, historically, these curses did happen, and that's very painful. But God does not leave it with curses. God finishes the chapters of the curses very, very clearly. I'm just looking for a moment at uh, chapter 26, verse 45, where he says, I'll remember the covenant uh, when I took you out of Egypt, and I'll be your God. And I end with the positive. And here we are today seeing uh, the beginning of the end of the story with our return to Israel and with our coming back. it's unbelievable to see how all of that has played out so clearly. So let's finish the last chapter of the book of Leviticus, and in the last chapter of this week's Torah portion, Leviticus chapter 27, and it seems a little bit like we changed subjects here. It, one of the headings for this chapter is laws concerning vows, that if we make a vow to the Lord, we should keep it, but also there's the vows between people and vows amongst people with their animals. It's very interesting and and seems to be a different subject matter. So give us a a summary teaching of chapter 27. So first of all, I mean, just just the idea that we shift gears so suddenly, like you said, Pastor, we shift gears from this national description of blessings and curses and and, and, and very grandiose uh, in nature. But to end the portion and to end the book of Leviticus, we shift back to some of the more detailed laws. That in and of itself, I believe, is, a, is an important lesson that we don't want to lose sight of the uh, specifics. Uh, and, and we're sort of brought back or jolted back to that, that reality. That's just one thing which I certainly 
uh, take from uh, the concept. The, the chapter deals, first of all, with uh, contributions that were made to the temple, which were not mentioned uh, at all uh, earlier, um, but the, it seems to be highlighting uh, the idea of voluntary gifts, and we have to understand what are the values of different things that people dedicate, whether it's money, whether it's physical things that they're signifying giving to the to the temple. Um, but it, it seems to be saying that this is uh, important, but it's not part of the actual body of laws that we had before. Meaning, focus on what one must do. On what must do, and not on the voluntary elements, and that's why some people say that's why it's all the way at the end of the book. The book really concluded with the curses and the blessings, and then we mentioned, by the way, you have the right to do voluntary things as well, and it actually gives you some of the details of how to go about doing that. But that's why it's at the end of the book and not somehow in the middle when we were dealing with all of those detailed laws. So as we come to our end of our discussion with the Torah reading for the week, what do you? say is the main lesson that we should go home with this week? I think it's twofold. It's the faith and trust from the sabbatical. Uh, what, a, what a powerful, powerful message that we need to have those regular reminders, both as individuals and as a nation. So we living here in Israel do have that through the sabbatical. Everyone else should find other ways to do so. The idea of the sabbatical in general of taking a pause and focusing on spirituality and removing ourselves somewhat from the physical. And that's part one. And then part two, to really focus on this national responsibility towards one another, national consequences, national blessings. And the last part that I would say again is to just harp on that point, to realize that we've, we have experienced these curses. This, uh, these are prophecies that came true. These are not some outlandish prophecies which can anybody ever imagine this happening. As you read these chapters and you read all of its graphic description, it happened. We've experienced it. We sinned, we were punished, we were exiled, but also the end of it as well, which is the blessings that come and the return to Israel. So it almost, to me, shows me that these curses and blessings reinforce that idea of faith and trust and belief, which we're working on in the beginning of uh, the portion. So it really all comes together, and that's something which is a beautiful way to end the book of Leviticus and to prepare ourselves for the continuation of the narrative, which will happen in the book of Numbers. So I will leave us with the two verses you mentioned, one of them, Leviticus 26, 44, and then 45. 44 says, in spite of this, the Lord speaking, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God, now 45, but I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord." And the lesson here is cursings or judgments do follow disobedience. But as much as they might break our hearts, I believe they break the heart of the Heavenly Father even more so because he doesn't want to judge or punish. He wants to bless and restore. And so it is not a punishment for the sake of injury. It is a punishment for the sake of calling us to repentance so that we might return to him. Beautiful, and that, that is certainly the, the, the point that we have to focus on, that uh, when God does talk about consequences, uh, it's not punitive in nature, uh, but it's to help inspire 
and bring us back to the right path. Always enjoy studying the Word of God with you, my friend. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much. Shabbat Shalom to you and to all the listeners. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.